participants. <laughs> We're glad to have you here today. Uh, I'm Ken Benton, and we'll be hosting this uh, this afternoon and uh, talking about opening school with confidence this year. And of course, we're going through a lot, and all of you know, and some of you may be in school already. But uh, we hope today that our panel will be able to discuss some things with you uh, that will give you confidence in going to school during this time that's different. It's a new year for everybody. And uh, so you, you're on the cusp right now of learning some things. Uh, all the people that you see on the panel have worked in schools or are now working in schools, uh, trying to help those folks uh, get opened up this year. So you're coming in at a time when we've got some real experience uh, to talk with you this afternoon. Again, welcome, and we're glad to have you. Uh, today is going to be an open forum, and we've taken the questions that you put down. Uh, when you signed in and signed up and registered for this program, uh, most of you had questions, and uh, we're going to try to answer those questions today. Uh, but the group will uh, join in uh, as we move along here on the questions that you've asked. So please, uh, Listen up, if you will. We'll ask the questions and give it to the panel. Panel, what are some positive ways that uh, the principal and the staff can best open the school to relieve stress there and also having to deal with the pandemic at the same time? Yeah, so is it okay if I take the, the first one, Dr. Benton? Is that all right, everybody? Please. Please. I hate to hog, hog all the time. So, so thanks everybody. My name is Tom Miller. Uh, maybe some of you were on the call last month, and you know some of you on uh, some of our um, other sessions. So let me just first start by saying, thanks for investing this time. As I said just before the recording, uh, time is your most valuable resource. There never seems to be enough time right now dealing with this pandemic, uh, from a social and emotional point, and making decisions as a leader. And I'm actually currently the interim head of a school of a charter school here in Wake County. And I feel like I am on like, you know, decision overload. So one of the, the, key, the key ways here to relieve stress, and I'm gonna share a, um, I'm gonna share a visual here for everybody. Hope everybody can see this uh, leading through complex times. Is that showing up hopefully on everybody's screen? Give me a yes in the chat box or uh, thumb up on the screen that it's showing up. All right, so clarity, right? Confidence is clarity. And I think that's where you have to start. You have to start with having clarity in your vision of what it is you want it to be. And I think a lot of the stress is coming from not being sure what it is I want to see, what it is we want to do, what are our goals in this short term, whether you're a classroom teacher, uh, you know, front you know, desk, a support staff, or a community member, or a head of school, you got to have vision. You got to be able, you know, to open your eyes to be able to be more. You have to see more. And I think that's what I'm seeing most often right now. And even in myself, you know, being an interim head of school right now, I don't necessarily have the historical understanding of the schools, why it exists and who it aims to be. So I'm asking a lot of vision questions. Well, what have you done in the past or what has it looked like when it was most successful? So we can start to paint the picture of what success might look like. Because as you can see by the screen, if you don't have vision, you can have the skills and your people buy into the leader and you got resources to use and an action plan that's maybe written out or just thought about, but it equals confusion because we're not really sure where we're going. Okay, so this, this, this resource has been shared with you in, in the uh, chat box and I really encourage you to take your own team through each of these and take a look. 
Do we have clear vision? Do we have the skills to be able to carry out to get us to that vision? If not, maybe we need training. Are my uh, people showing, you know, hesitation? Uh, maybe they don't buy in. Maybe they're not clear, and that's why they're not, you know, buying in, right? Because that creates resistance. Uh, maybe we just don't feel fully resourced. You know, we've got a great idea. We've got incredibly talented people. We're all for it but we don't have the computers because they're on back order, right? Or we don't have all of the masks or we don't have all the, all, the, um, all the hand sanitizer that we need. Whatever it is, you can take any part of your learning plan, your school plan, your organization plan, and you can drop it in here, whether it's learning, health and safety, human resource, and then you know, finally is the action plan. So this is, this is the chart that I've, that I've used with some principals you know, this week. And I thought it would be really uh, helpful for everybody to take a look and really identify what is potentially causing the stress and anxiety? Uh, what part of my overall plan uh, might I be missing? So that's going to be my thing, uh, uh, Dr. Ben and uh, panel, is that clarity, right, leads to confidence. Confidence comes from clarity. When I've done it before, I know how to do it, and, um, and, and I know I'm going to be okay. But I, when I've never been there before, I don't have clarity, and therefore it sometimes leads to confidence issues. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. Are there others that would like to weigh in on this from the panel? Yeah, I, I really like that, um, you know, because when we're anxious or, you know, we don't know the source and this gives a lot of direction. I think part of it too um, is, is recognizing, are, are you taking care of yourself? You know, sometimes it's being able to, you know, just get in tune to that anxiety before you even go into what is the causation of that anxiety is being able to identify, you know, that you are under, you know, some of that stress. And so part of it, if I could share this real quick, is this notion of, you know, this compassion fatigue that we're in. And, and, and I think Hattie is defining compassion fatigue is, you know, these folks who are taking care of everyone, you know, whether they're nurses or teachers or doctors, you know, they're just running, 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 trying to, to, to do the next thing, but they don't even realize that they, it's costing them. Um, and so they're not even looking at that a little bit. And so I think if we understand and reflect a little bit on, um, you know, are we isolating more? Are we having more emotional outbursts? Are we sad? Are we showing some of these symptoms of compassion fatigue? And then just kind of reflecting on it and then pushing that into this great little matrix that we have here that says, okay, what's the source of it? What's the source of, of, of my anxiety? I think that will help a great deal. And I've got a little compassion fatigue inventory that I'll put in the chart and let you guys kind of take a look at that so that you can kind of do some self-reflecting um, to make sure that you are okay, that you are taking care of yourself. Yeah, what a great point, Chris. I mean, like I think about when you're not sure of something, the best step that I've ever found, and maybe everybody else on the panel has you know, done this, is go find someone who's, who's already done it, right? Or go to a place where it exists. I was on a call this morning with uh, this uh, technology consulting team, and because this school wants to be a real strong Google Classroom school, and I said, well, who's the model? Like, where do we go to, because they're, you know, spending tons of resources and money and everybody wants to do it, but I don't, there's no plan. And so it's really important to just ask that question or just observe, like, who in my life has this 
success that I want, whether it's in your health or your wealth or your faith, or it doesn't matter what aspect of your life you're trying to improve or that you don't feel good about, who is it that I would like to, you know, not necessarily, you know, like emulate, but learn from, and then go watch them and ask questions. And if you can't find them, uh, go to the library because there's tons of resources that can maybe help you also uh, get there. Uh, okay, let's go just ahead. to add something to that, uh, and, and again, the chart is just wonderful. It spells out very clearly things that specifically leaders can do to bring some clarity to their organization and to their team members. And then, of course, the uh, compassion fatigue inventory. Chris, I, I will look forward to uh, taking that inventory myself because lately I felt a little stress that I don't normally feel. And uh, so yeah, I need to figure what that source is. And that's always a good uh, action for any leader to take. And remember, you are a leader at any level. Doesn't matter whether you're the classroom teacher, uh, you may be a parent uh, who's responsible for your family, you're a leader. So it doesn't matter your level of leadership, we all have to uh, take responsibility for ourselves. But at, at the simplest level, and I, I wrote this out this morning for a project that I'm working on about planning. And one of the things that I hear uh, in my conversations with other people and even from the panel, and of course we took questions from the participants, what is this idea of questions? And we all have so many questions. And I, I wrote this this morning, I, I said, planning allows us to, to answer the questions. And if you go through the who, what, when, where, how, why process, and, and you identify all the questions that you begin to have when you're feeling this anxiety or the stress or the uncertainty or the just don't know where to go to do what, uh, all of a sudden it, it does bring some, um, a calming effect and some clarity to the picture. The idea of I can begin to figure out what it is I need to know um, and one of the things that as a, a panel group we've talked about internally is this need for planning. We have just got to do a better job of planning. And uh, so I, I think that's one of the things at a most base level for folks who may not be at that bigger decision-making level, if they could uh, take some time to just sit down and, and do that uh, self-reflection of identifying those questions, which are actually their concerns, turn their concern into a question, all of a sudden they can begin to see a pattern, organize their information, and then figure out how to attack the process so they can get to the solutions that they need. And just like you said at the beginning, Tom, we don't have all the answers. They won't have all the answers. No one has all the answers right now, but then begin to isolate what's really critical, what you really need to know right now to move to the next step, and uh, take things in bite-sized pieces. There's some things that are gonna work themselves out as we move through the process. No more comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, panel. And we, we'll go to our next question, if you will. And uh, this has to do with virtual learning. And I think uh, most of us know that there are a lot of systems who are gonna go virtual for the first nine weeks or uh, for the first six months, some of them are, and some of them are going to do a hybrid. But the question is, what are some strategies and ideas to assist educators and parents with doing school virtually? Some strategies that educators and parents can use to do in school virtually. 
I don't mind opening up on that one uh, panel, if you don't mind. Uh, this is Todd Forget with uh, Rana Systems Incorporated. Yeah, uh, you know, it. I, I think the the answer or the, the way we begin to approach that um, stems from uh, the comments from our, our first discussion. And it, what you heard a lot was planning, right? Planning is is going to be key with reference to uh, approaching a virtual or a hybrid uh, scenario. So one of the things um, we uh, I, you know we engage in and we hear a lot of is that this planning is important. Uh, one of the things that we like to work with with our schools, our partners with, and 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 to share today is that do you guys have a good framework from which to plan, right? So uh, often in uh, in in education we have a lot of great plans with uh, unfortunately failure to start or failure to execute, and I think we could tie that back into uh, to the uh, chart that was presented earlier. But just to get started, and and I'm not I'm not sure if it, if the panel's okay, but just to open up to uh, to the, to the group that is with us, have any of you engaged or had the privilege of engaging in a specific framework yet for planning for virtual or hybrid instruction? And do you guys mind sharing some uh, excitement or frustration that you experience? So, hey Todd, do you do you want them to un, un, unmute themselves? Because I need to give them access to be able to do that. So that's why I asked. Or do you want them to put it in the chat box? Or tell tell me what you want them to do. Oh, I'm, I'm I I love the dialogue. I think uh, I think they can unmute themselves, right? And uh, <laughs> okay, we'll take it. We can take it from per there. Per perfect. So I will I will you know check that. So if you can mute yourself on your end, and then if you want to hop in, Todd's you know got a question. If you want to repeat your question because I interrupted the flow, and it's my fault. I'm sorry. No, no problem at all. I think, again, just talking about um, uh, planning and frameworks with reference to preparation for hybrid or virtual instruction. Um, you know, for some of our partner schools, we are two weeks away from, uh, from day one uh, of opening. So there has been some strategic planning that's gone on and then some very specific planning on the conversion of instructional content. Um, just wanted to open back up to the panel, or excuse me, not the panel, but the participants to engage as well. What are some areas of frustration that you guys have experienced in that preparation? And, and on the panel, we may have some suggestions or, or uh, supports or frameworks that we can share with you. Those of you who join us today, feel, please feel free to uh, join in uh, verbally, be fine. We'll take it on chat also. But, uh, Feel free to speak up. We're glad to uh, find out what you've been doing to, to get ready for this virtual uh, platform that we're going to be on. Yeah, Todd, you know, oh. Oh, oh, great, go for it. Um, my name is Erin Parker, and I teach in Powhatan County in Virginia. And my biggest thing is that we just found out that we're going back hybrid last night. Um, so it's just been the frustration of not knowing what's going on. Um, and so now that we officially know the process and what we're going to be looking forward to this school year, it's just getting that information together for our students. Yeah, th thanks, Erin, and thanks for sharing. Do you guys have, um, with, with just finding out, has any of your leadership started with next steps yet for you guys? We haven't heard anything yet. We just know that our students are going to be split into two groups and so they'll come two days a week. Great, great. So well, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that. I think, um, and, and Tom, I know you've experienced this in a lot of your, your sessions too, that idea of, 
you know, we've been encouraging uh, our school leaders to plan for uh, everything and expect anything. Uh, so sometimes, Aaron, I think there is frustration when, when you get down to that point of, okay, we just found out and it doesn't sound like um, we may have planned for everything yet. So in some cases, it's what, what can I do as an individual teacher, right, to start um, or to help with this process. And I think I would tie that back to uh, exactly as, as the panel had shared before. Uh, first and foremost, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, go out there. There are some very successful school systems that uh, went online in March, and, and there's virtual um, uh, public schools that have been online uh, for years. So one of the things that, that sometimes we run into is we get frozen over um, how to start a process when, when in reality, we can look at some very um, interesting design elements um, that have proven successful uh, as well. And then take that and place that into a framework of planning. Um, and if from a teacher perspective, just starting right there at the grade level, thinking about those things, what are, what are my desired outcomes, right? What are my students, uh, what are the desired outcomes for those, uh, for those students? And then um, what become the trainable competencies from there? So, and we definitely can pick up a little further. Did, did anyone else want to jump in? I see uh, Miss Mirage has uh, her hand up. I hope I pronounced your name right. Oh, you're muted, Ms. Mirage, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, yes I am. Okay, hi, I am Ranu Mirage, a principal at a primary school in Trinidad. Um, I have lots of challenges at the moment because um, we are back out to work um, as of two weeks ago, uh, only with the 11 plus students because we have a scheduled exam that they have to write, on, which is on August 20th. However, for the past couple of days, um, our cases have been increasing with COVID-19. Um, but we are still out at work. We have um, a lot of um, all our new, new norm policies and guidelines. One of our main challenges is uh, the virtual teaching um, here in Trinidad because not all our parents have access to internet service or devices. Mm -hmm. So in light of that, it is difficult. And then some parents are still at work. Um, some are essential, uh, essential workers. So there's no one home to monitor the kids if we have to do the virtual. So the virtual classes, teaching online right through, it is a very um, a serious challenge here for us in Trinidad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, and uh, I don't mind continuing panel or if anybody else wanted to jump in, just jump in uh, on top of me. Yeah, um, uh, we, we're experiencing a lot of the same issues with reference to the virtual environment in rural communities. And uh, Aaron, I don't mean to point out, but Powhatan used to be a rural community when I was in Virginia. Um, and I know you're getting out towards the uh, Cumberlands and the Buckinghams of, of Virginia there, moving west towards Roanoke. But um, in, in some of our, our most rural counties, we're experiencing the exact same issue. And one of the things that, again, from a planning standpoint is when we get down to identifying anticipated gaps, right, or performance gaps, whether it's in the plan itself um, uh, and not yet within the instruction of students, is uh, looking closely at how we can take advantage of the asynchronous instruction uh, model, uh, that being uh, the recordings, right? So we're encouraging a lot of our teams as they, as they work on that conversion of instructional content um, to be building not only as they build for a synchronous experience 
for, for teachers or live instruction, but to make use of the tools we have to, to pre-record those and or record on demand so that those can then be uploaded uh, to, to devices that perhaps may not have internet access, which goes back to, I think, uh, Tom's, Tom's uh, again, the, uh, the bigger issue in planning of what resources do we have available. Uh, but in, in many of our schools, uh, they have found funding for one-to-one uh, -one devices, but recognize that they have to put a rotating schedule for their most at-risk kids or vulnerable students or lacking those students lacking uh, internet capabilities to uh, even rotate their devices back to the school, whether it's a busing route or a bus goes out with a syncable um, device uh, on top of it. But um, and again, though, coming back to that importance of, of planning. So when we get into that step of conversion of instructional content, um, that definitely has to be uh, one of the aspects in the design portion uh, of what we're going to be delivering. I just want to follow up with Todd. Or do you want to move on to something else, Ken? No, I was going. I was going to share share something I had about our local county. Uh, we are we're in a very rural district where we live, and as Todd mentioned, they are putting hotspots on buses and and carrying them out throughout the community. Uh, they've also bought uh, Chromebooks for every student, and that's some of the things they're doing doing here. I think the only only thing that we the other answer that we've had is that some of the schools when we're doing total virtual virtual for the uh, essential workers, they're setting up places in the schools uh, for kind of like a daycare. And so the kids can come there, they're where internet is, and they can be taken care of. So those are three things that are being done locally here. Just share that with you from a very, very rural county that I'm in. Chris? Thanks, Ken. I, I, I would agree with that. You know, I think it goes back to that chart that Tom put out to begin with. And when people are insecure, and this kind of goes out to the teachers in the building and uh, for the administrators who are, who are working directly with the teachers, um, when we are most insecure, um, the, the, the quickest way to, to build some security is to get your structure in place. You know, mm -hmm. um, make sure that you're being proactive, not reactive as teachers. Sit down, spend a little time. What are your expectations for those students in the classroom? Because you might have an idea of why you want the class to go, but the students don't, this is all new to them. Just sit down, spend some time reflecting on how do I want this to go? Um, and then design your time, design your plan so that it alleviates that confusion and resistance and frustration and false starts uh, and anxiety by explicitly teaching those expectations. Making sure you're going with your students and you're saying, this is how we're going to sit in the class. This is how we're going to do this. Have that listed there. Um, a lot, I definitely heard from Vanessa, I think that's a great resource. Um, I'm definitely plowing through the distance learning playbook by Hattie and those folks. I think it's a great resource for, for, for teachers to use. I'm definitely using this in the classes that I'm teaching. But, you know, if we can shift from rules to, a, to the terminology of agreements, um, that we're going to sit down, these are what we agree as the expectations that we're going to implement. And we do it through role play, um, using examples and non-examples. 
but it goes back, um, you know, to we already know these things. We know lesser rules are better. We don't want 20 rules. We want three to five. We want them posted somewhere in our virtual classroom. And we want to refer to those rules and modify them so that they become norms. We want to state it in as a positive. This is all stuff we do in behavior management anyway. Don't give a whole bunch of things to say, don't do this, don't do that. Say what they should do and reward that. Make them very specific in nature. And again, I can't, I can't, I can't stress enough to post those expectations up. Um, I'll put in the chat a link to a couple posters that we have um, that for preschool and for younger kids, you know, more of the visual, but definitely spend some time on how do you want this to run and link it to what we already know about classroom management and structure. Once you get structure, that's going to secure people down a little bit and you can get into that teaching. Yeah, but Chris, I think you're missing a massive point here. No adult likes to fail anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, this is what this is what I feel. I feel like everything you said is right on, but because I'm not sure of the expectations, you know, you know, I'm not sure if I can do it, and I don't want to look bad, right? Everybody wants to look competent as an adult, which is the craziest thing because it's the opposite of what we teach kids when they're younger to go try to fail forward, just you know, give an effort. And then all of a sudden as adults, we're like, oh no, I can't show any failure. And it's, it's like, I feel like <clears throat> we're in this model here and I love this learning model. John Maxwell talks about it in his book, um, Leader, Leadership, I think, or, or no, you know, limits, but it's this test, fail, learn, and it's really unlearn, right? You got to relearn, unlearn, like there's things we, we're going to have to unlearn to be able to improve and then re-enter. And this is where I'm seeing a lot of the lack of confidence in if I don't, you know, because we all want our first day of school to be so spectacular, but now we're thinking, oh my gosh, the first day of school is going to be in like, you know, in a kid's bedroom, right? Or, or in a living room or in a recording session. So it's even more important that you bring these small rules and small and, and get really clear on the purpose of why your school exists and who you aim to be. And schools weren't built to be virtual. You know, that Wake County Public Schools has had 80,000 students apply to be in their Wake County Academy. Well, I've been telling the parents here, well, Wake County is no meant to be a virtual you know, school any more than we are. And in fact, we'll be able to be more flexible and we'll be able to you know, be more personalized than they are. So you can go and do that if you want. But I know we'll be able to do it better, but it's not who we were built to be. So we were built to be a service learning, community-focused school here where I'm at. And that's what we need to make sure is somehow embedded into everything that we do. Because when I've been hosting these parent meetings, they are asking me things about like internships and community service and advisory and relationships. They're not asking me about safety and, you know, I know all that will come as we get to plan B. So it's really important to understand why people choose your school if you're in a you know, school choice. And what is it that you aim to be? And then, yes, you create the rules that Chris was saying. And yes, and then you write the plan that Todd was talking about and Ms. Benton were talking about, or I'm sorry, Dr. Benton were talking about. You got to get there first. So that's just my thought on that. Yeah, and Tom, you make a great point too. You can't be afraid to practice, right? 
you know, if we're if we're that uh, afraid of failure, we we have to practice. We have uh, an entire team here that is working on some asynchronous content for some of our partner schools where we're providing the instructional video. And and if you can't get together as a team and record yourself uh, and and get to laughing and and make yourself better through a form of micro teaching from John Hattie. Um, you're, you're definitely missing out because uh, where, where, where we're experiencing a lot of anxiety, we could be also having a whole lot of fun. And, and Todd, yeah, just love- to that and all the comments that have been made um, and going back to some things that Chris said at the very beginning uh, about the anxiety that builds, uh, our parents have really got to... Um, help us out. (laughs) Uh, I I hear a lot of uh, comments from parents and sometimes they're not as kind as they need to be towards the schools. And uh, again, we are in a a time and a season in the school business that we have never experienced. And um, I've, I've heard Chris say this numerous times in conversations, always figure out what's essential, get the low hanging fruit, pick out those things and focus in those areas and then build. And uh, our parents have got to uh, support our schools right now. They've got to be supportive of the fact that, that our teachers are working and they're waiting for plans in a lot of cases, just like this teacher from Powhatan. I'm sure she has been worried all summer long about what's going to happen and what she needs to do. And she's been thinking and researching and looking, but the reality is she had to wait for a decision. And so uh, as, as a community, and, and Tom, you brought this to light with the type of school that families may choose, whether it's a charter school or a public school, or if it becomes the virtual model, where all of a sudden, mom, dad, you are the community of your school at this point. The idea is uh, we just need to be kinder and really put ourselves in the other person's place pause and think before we have some of the reactions that we've had and and just begin to ask the question, what can I do to make this situation good for my child, for the child, for the school that I'm operating under, whatever circumstance it is, uh, because we we need to pull together right now. Uh, everybody, everybody needs to pull together. The lady that's in Trinidad, you know, we appreciate you reaching out to us. Uh, I'm in a little town uh, in North Carolina that you would not know about or recognize on the map. And yet to have the opportunity to engage you uh, and know that your concerns are the same that we're experiencing right here. Well, that speaks volumes to me that there are solutions. And if we would just take the time to listen and think through and uh, figure out the, again, those critical pieces that we've got to have in place I think we can get to some very uh, positive solutions and, uh, and be able to help our kids, which is the bottom line. And, and so I think all of us on this panel are in agreement about getting to a place where we can help our students have the success that they're supposed to be having in school right now. And I, I don't want to follow Marilyn because she's got like the throne chair. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, like I've got this like wooden chair that I'm sitting in. So uh, I, I know my Chris, point. Chris, I was not going to follow because she's so smart. I was like, I, I don't even have anything more to say. So it is. It is. And I, I love this model that Tom put out this test, fail and learn. And, and I think that, you know, we just need some wins. 
Um, and the only way to get some wins is to be able to jump in there, test it out, work with your structure. If that's the low hanging fruit in your building, you know, uh, however you want to do that, you're just going to have to get some wins in your column to get, to get some of that success. And, and the way to get those wins, the only way I know how to people do things and solve things um, that are new to everyone is to, to go in and, okay, this is our best guess. We're going to test it. We're going to fail. We're going to regroup. We're going to sit back. We're going to talk about what worked, what didn't. We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we're just going to sit there. We're going to reject some of those things we thought were our inevitable truths and be able to, you know, relearn um, some new realities. So we're going to have to check our egos. I mean, pride is going to have to go out the wall. And, and, and I hope when we go back and try it again, we are modeling those skills that Tom accurately said, these are what we expect our students to be able to do, to try it out, to fail, to be okay, to show their mistakes in front of a whole class. These are all things that historically teachers have not, have been somewhat reluctant to do. More effective teachers welcome people seeing their, their failures and they want their students to see them kind of regroup and eat humble pie and come back in. And that's just something that's escaped us. And so I think is that if that's a silver lining with what we're experiencing, we're going to be forced into, you know, well, that didn't work. Let's, let's, let's regroup and try this again. We're going to be forced to get the feedback from students because Hattie has said, the most effective feedback is not from teacher to student, but from student to teacher, whether it's in form of formative assessment or given their input. So I think there's some real opportunities and I hope everybody has copied, copied that model down that Tom put in chat and just kind of plaster it because I'm going to take it. I'm going to tell my students that I developed it, um, uh, that it's mine, um, uh, because that's what good professors do. Uh, and, and, and hopefully we, 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 we adhere to it. Yeah, and, and I think there's a word that's really important that you have to get your team to, and that's commitment, right? You've got to, you've got to I think we talked about this last month, you've got to marry that mission, marry that vision. And then just date that, you know, plan. You, you, you put time and effort into the plan, but you're going to know what's going to work. It's going to tell you, but you got to give it time. And I think one thing that we do is we're not committed to anything. We just, oh, it didn't work yesterday, so I'm done, you know, and, or no, it's not going to get us there. We've already tried before. So getting your team to commitment uh, is really important here. And that means you have to be a, an effective communicator to be able to build that influence and you also need to be an effective listener to, to ask, to you know, make sure people ask you questions and you're listening. Uh, because if you're not listening to the whispers of your team, eventually those whispers are going to turn into screams and then they're going to turn into silence. Uh, because it's really important that you, that you use that, uh, you know, model and you pay attention to what is it that you're trying to get to. Uh, so like, you know, for example, if we were all going to go to Trinidad, uh, there's many ways to get there, right? There's many routes to get there, but the goal is the barbecues in your backyard or at your school. So we're all going to get there by five. I don't care how you get there, but here's where we're all going to be at five o'clock. That's that vision piece. And what route, you know, these are the agreed upon platforms or as Todd was talking about, you know, the like agreed upon um, instructional practices and methods that we can use. And we're going to keep it simple. Let's just pick three or two or whatever, or what's best for our kids. And then let's test 
let's test the waters and, and, and see what the data tells us so then we can be informed and make a better decision. Tom, can you see some of the chat messages that have come in? So a lot of them are from us. We added in some resources. So every resource you've seen here on the screen or one of the panels as I talked about, I put it in that Google Drive. Okay. Um, and and uh, Vanessa shared Married Admission or uh, Married Division and Data Plan. She said she's used that a lot since, since uh, we first said it. And um, I've just asked, I'm really curious that where might your teams be feeling resistant out there? You know, there's about, you know, 16, 17 of you from, you know, different schools all across the world, obviously. What, you know, what, what are some of, what are some of the resistance that you're seeing? And when I just read our, you know, our uh, parents over, and here was a giant learning from, from the school that I'm, I'm in charge of now. We had 760 parents reply to our survey out of about 810 enrolled students. And then I realized we really hadn't read the survey. So why, what are we making decisions on? And that really upset me from my own standpoint to not say this is part of the process. We're going to ask for feedback and then we got to read the feedback and then interpret what is it that they want us to hear. And so what, what we did is I pulled, you know, five or six, you know, themes out. It was, you know, parents felt that their kids were confused on directions. They thought that there is too little or too much time on work or there was too many platforms or there, you know, they were just anxious. Okay, well, we can answer those things. We can put in a plan to answer those. But if we don't listen, if we don't read the, the surveys, oh my gosh, no one's ever going to fill out a survey for you ever again. So I think that for me was a massive learning for me this week to make sure that, you know, good intentions is asking for the survey, but intentional action is actually reading the survey and using the information to make a better plan to serve, to serve your uh, team and to serve um, your, you know, uh, clients you know, your students and your families. One of the things that we had throughout the uh, questions that came in was about assessments and uh, placing students. And uh, a lot of you in schools where they probably haven't done an assessment since last October, possibly, or September. And so uh, how do you measure the success of curriculum and assessment programs with a hybrid versus a virtual learning platform? How do you measure the success of a curriculum and assessment program with a hybrid versus a virtual learning platform? Uh, yep, I'll, I'll jump in and start that one. One of, the, um, one of the biggest things is not to abandon, right, best practices. I think I talked a little bit um, last session on um, uh, the state of Florida, Florida's Department of Education, as well as Virginia's um, pushing, uh, pushing uh, thoroughly this idea of we cannot abandon our best practices uh, in assessments. So, with reference to what we know and 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 what we uh, what students are are bringing to the table when they return, we can um, only rely on the last data points that we had uh, to support grouping in that in that case. Moving forward, though, you know, as the fall starts, we we have to have in that plan. We have to build in screening. Uh, if you're following a three-tier model or an MTSS or an RTI. Uh, depending on what part of the, the world you're from. Um, you know, you have to have those screening assessments in place. You should have uh, solid interim assessments um, uh, in place. And you should, you, you definitely, when you get into the conversion 
of your instructional content to, to that um, hybrid model, um, you need to make sure you're including formative assessments or check for understandings as, as we use through, um, through Lamov's work. Um, so I think uh, I think that's that's critical to remember. The the other side of that in planning, with reference to that conversion of instruction, though, is is remembering that um, we're in a situation where not every student uh, has chosen to go online virtually. If you're in that situation, um, so unlike a traditional online program that results in the acceleration of learning. Um, we have a situation here during planning that we have to realize in some cases it may take twice as long um, for, for content mastery with reference to pacing instruction uh, as well, especially if we're dealing with, as, as um, Ms. Mirage had pointed out, this idea of students that don't have access to the online content um, directly or synchronously. Uh, so we definitely have to build in and be that much more careful and explicit in our planning to make sure we have uh, formative assessments built in based on the instruction we're converting. Anyone else on the session? Mic, mic drop. <laughs> I, I think Todd is spot on. You know, we have always tried to use summative assessments as some pseudo formative assessment. And it almost is an exercise sometimes in futility. Um, and there is a rejection of collecting good formative assessment data that Todd has talked about. And if we, if we can use this opportunity to be able to collect that ongoing formative assessment data, it's gonna be such a better use of our time. Um, I'll throw in a document that kind of gives some online examples or tools that you can use uh, to gather some of that formative assessment, but don't underestimate that unobtrusive formative assessment data. And those are like students' facial features, you know, the number of responses. I mean, scanning and keeping everybody on your screen because that, that data doesn't interfere with the flow of your instruction. And that's gonna be the big thing um, in, in online instruction is keeping that flow going, your pacing, which has always been a huge thing. Uh, in instruction, you know, but we're all going to have to become little mini disc jockeys. We can't have dead air, you know, we're going to have to to really make sure that our transitions are as smooth as possible. But again, it goes back to the model Tom was talking about. We're going to fail miserably trying to go to breakout sessions to go, doesn't matter, figure out what worked for you and then move back with the goal being we're going to provide a lot of security and structure for individuals and alleviate anxiety if our flow gets better. But give yourself a break. So I'll, I just want to reiterate Todd's point of formative assessment is what we should really be relying on to, to, to determine whether we're being effective or not. And I'll throw in that document from Hattie that kind of shows some of their suggestions, which I think are pretty comprehensive of, of some suggestions that you could use to collect that formative data online. Yeah, and, and that, was, that was the second highest response on that survey I was mentioning was they, the parents felt that they, the kids were not getting feedback on their work. And maybe the teachers felt that they were, I don't know, but there has to be a way where there's clear communication and expectations because listen, there's a lot of, you know, there's 19, 17, 19 um, adults on here. Feedback is critical to your growth. And if we're not giving feedback to students, 
um, then how are the, how are we expecting them to grow? They have to figure it out, which they probably will figure it out eventually if they use that test fail learn model. Uh, but but it's our job as adults to give our teachers feedback, you know, teacher leaders and you know teachers to give students feedback, or then to find a way to get feedback on the work that they've done. And, and know, Tom, I, just to, oh, I'm sorry, Marilyn, go ahead, go ahead, no, please. Go ahead, go ahead, Tom. Okay, I, I was just going to reiterate too. I think from from Tom's point there is that that's that goes back to again the importance of a strategic plan that includes the identification or identifies the importance, I should say, right. Of, of the teachers' um, responsibilities. If we want the teachers to, to have an outcome where they have uh, um, physical, right, or, or um, touches, touch points with students, for example, then we have to make sure from a leadership perspective that we've planned for that accordingly. I, I just wanted to reiterate that again. A lot of um, uh, the theme that I hear that keep coming back to is making sure that we're, A, we're not afraid to plan, um, plan, have a framework to plan from, and then, uh, and then put it into practice before the kids come, by the way, right? Put it into practice and, and, and fail and, and redo it from that perspective. I'm sorry, go ahead, Marilyn. Well, and, and just right spot on with what you're saying, um, and going back to some uh, a phrase that uh, Chris used earlier, he talked about uh, expectation agreements for the classroom that teachers should have. And, and I think that um, as teachers are developing those things for their classroom and their expectations for their students, I think those are some other agreements that teachers can, can identify and, and set those realistic expectations of what I know I can do to give the feedback to my students and make sure parents are aware of what's going on. Um, I think that's gonna be something that is critically important. Um, and again, keeping it within the scope of what people can fully manage, because uh, I know for myself sometimes when I'm online all day long, you lose track of time and you're moving from one thing to the other. And sometimes at the end of the day, you wonder what did I get accomplished? But again, going back to some things that uh, Todd has talked about, about helping teachers plan for this and figure out what's reasonable to expect, but then also figure out what's responsible uh, and responsive to the needs of our students, not reactionary, but responsive to the needs of our students. Yeah, this, this you know, might be sound, sound, you know, crazy to folks. Sorry, Dr. Benton, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this. Yeah. Is, Hopefully everybody still has a pen and paper that they can journal on. So my call to action to everybody on this panel is going to be put the computer away, put the phone away, and just start writing an answer to the question, what do I want school to look like and feel like? And do it for 10 days in a row, start with a blank piece of paper. And by day 10, you have Todd's strategic plan. You have your vision. You have your expectations because everything that you wrote down, you can say, how will we get there? What do we need to do? Right? What needs to be true tomorrow that's not true today to make this happen? So everything is coming from your vision. And you, it's, it's really honestly the best bang for your buck exercise. Even if you only did it for one day, I'm gonna challenge you and try it for 10. But just take, take a pen, to the paper and just start writing. And we just don't do that anymore. 
um, or draw it out or whatever you need to do, get a whiteboard, but really start to just unclog your head with all of the junk that's in there right now and just put the pen to paper. So that's my call to action for everybody uh, for this. Sorry, Dr. Okay. Now we want this to be open. I appreciate you jumping in. Are we looking for ideas. One of the questions that we have here is, uh, and I think this is ideas uh, to make the online learning experience a good experience for uh, young people. So one of our, this is one of our teacher questions. Uh, how do we make that online experience the best we can for, for our students? What are some suggestions? I got I, I got typing. I'm sorry. I got typing the response from uh, from Aaron, Dr. Ken. Was that uh, was that uh, the pickup again? From the question with reference to um, uh, Aaron's point is balancing the uh, in person and virtual instruction. No, this uh, it's, a, sorry. it's a different question. We're talking. The teacher asked, uh, "How can I make the online experience the best I can? What are some ideas that might be good for me in terms of?" being online with my students. How do I make sure that they are successful? And some so, ideas to Before we get into the wonderful explanation, I just want to say good teaching is good teaching. Yeah. You know, yeah. so what, what you were going to do in a face-to-face -face situation, you know, is what you should be doing, you know, online. And, you know, eradicate these beliefs of that it's different. Good teaching is good teaching. Um, you want to engage your students. You want to get them going with discourse. Discourse has a huge effect size. You know, if you're just doing teacher directed and that's it, and then uh, following it up with some sort of, you know, online assignment where they're writing, um, it, you're just you're just not going to get there. Um, breakout sessions. You know, getting kids talking to kids online. They feel very comfortable doing that. If if you disagree, go see some of the gaming places. Go on Twitch. Go on. I mean, they're totally comfortable. We're not. They are. Um, they're fine establishing relationships online. Um, you know, going back and just getting some of those core things that you want. I want my students to engage in deep learning through discourse. Uh, I'm going to put in some teacher-directed component because they're not going to have anything to talk about if I don't do teacher-directed. You know, make sure that you have, back to what Todd was saying, have it planned in what you want to do. But remember that big idea, good teaching is good teaching. Sorry to jump in on that, Todd. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I just, I just shared a document, um, just a real quick, uh, it has a little bit of an example of a school that was planning. And you're exactly right, Chris. But best practices are best practices. So um, if you're looking to uh, make your learning environment uh, that much more rich, then, then you, you approach it the same way you approach your classroom, right? So, so your, in your, your virtual classroom is now your environment. So what are some of those things that you would do uh, and, I, and I think that's what you're reiterating, Chris, whether uh, with reference to a, a building up um, that, that your, your um, expectations with reference to what that classroom is. So you should have communication protocols, right? You should uh, identify where do assignments, assignments go, where is, where is the information page that's usually one wall, right? Uh, things of that nature, have a schedule. And I know that sometimes gets controversial is, well, should we schedule uh, online instruction because not all kids can access uh, at the same time? The resounding answer right now is yes. Best practices say you need to provide a schedule. We need to recognize that, not, that 
100% aren't going to be able to meet the schedule, but that has to go back into that plan as well. Um, and then, and then you know, identify what does it mean to be prepared? Uh, and I think in what I just shared, you know, one of, one of the examples they shared with their kids, uh, you are prepared if you're on time, if your camera is on, if your face is present, if your microphone's muted, right, and your materials are ready. And this is a school system that identified that uh, the ability to unmute student mics is a privilege that they earn. So this is an elementary school example. So I, I, yeah, just capturing and, and reiterating uh, what Chris was sharing is that don't abandon what we know. Don't abandon those the, the best practices. What it takes to set up your class environment um, isn't it doesn't change. It, it just the environment itself changes. Um, so the same way that you walk through your classroom to make sure things make sense, you need to do that as well. You need to navigate your learning environment. Join as a student, give it a try. Fail, as we said earlier, and, and address it. Yeah, I always ask my principals, have you ever been a guest in your own school? Have you ever called the school? Have you ever walked in? Have you ever done the car line? If you haven't done those things, get on it because you will learn a lot just by walking around your school uh and that's you know i mean as a consultant I, that's my job i constantly have that eye but i encourage principals to do it hey todd make sure you address aaron's uh, question since she uh, i don't know if you hit it totally but she had a question about like a balance of yeah i, I started i, I started you know, to type it i'm you got it, and I apologize, Aaron. Um, we've done we've done a lot of work with, uh, with with some with schools that have been successful rolling out. Uh, and your question was, um, Aaron's question was recommendations for balancing in person and virtual instruction. Um, and and I'll share I'll share one of the best examples that 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 we've molded and experienced with our partner schools now is that um, our recommendation is to take instruction, uh, when you take instruction online, to go asynchronous for the first three weeks. Um, and, and what that means is, is that you're going to pre-record the core elements of your instruction. And, uh, and we have a um, talking kindergarten through fifth grade primarily, um, we have some recommendations on, on those time frames. How long should that recorded session be? Regardless of if you are bringing that online asynchronously, though, um, the expectation is that the teacher is still there live, right? They're still online. Most of our schools are looking at one hour core academic sessions. So if you're, if you have, uh, if you're teaching reading from 10 to 11 a.m., um, you are online as the teacher, um, but for the first three weeks, you might be relying after your opening and welcoming everybody, you might be relying on having kids um, watch a recorded um, 15 to 20 minute video before you, before you re-engage and interact with, uh, with independent or group work or discussion from that perspective. Um, and it transition, it kind of rotates out and depending on the curriculum um, conversion that you've done, it can be as simple as 20 minute um, teacher distract, uh, excuse me, asynchronous video, and then 40 minute teacher interaction, um, or depending again on, on reading programs or math programs, there's a more natural break, a 20, 20 minute um, uh, video, 15 to 20 minute video break for uh, interaction on um, core skills and then going back into a 20 minute uh, uh, video there. So I hope that helps a little bit. I, I, I apologize. I don't have, um, I don't have that cheat sheet broken out to, uh, to share with the, with the team there. And can I add just a quick, um, when you are 
you know, evaluating and you've lost a student, you're going back to that model of, you know, I'm going to reevaluate. Um, I've got a student that is not participating fully. I've got a student that, you know, is not responding to my instruction very well. Um, I've put it in the sheet, um, uh, I mean, in the chat, uh, but be able to just kind of run yourself through some of these questions and see if these are some of the things that you're doing in your virtual classroom. You know, things, you know, that teacher-student relationship is really huge. Um, and one of the, the, the things you can do is make sure you can pronounce their names well, um, which is very difficult for me. Um, I have a horrible time with names, but being able to, to do those things, you know, um, how many times you're using their name in, in but not through correction that students want to hear their names in this virtual this virtual situation um, that you're going past the surface questions you're going into the critical thinking asking them personal questions just even about their day you know compliments that are real and genuine no fake compliments but real genuine compliments um, highlighting student success and a lot of times when you go through this checklist um, you'll find out that the kid that's disengaged is the one that you're not doing these things with. So then you formulate your plan and you get back in and you retry. Uh, but being able to kind of systematically um, think about and problem solve on how you're missing some of your kids is going to be pretty uh, important. Other comments? We've got about another couple of minutes, but I would like to put this question out and take the time to answer it. One of the things in leadership is this thing we call communication. And I think this is, uh, we are really going to need to be out there on this, uh, getting things communicated in a clear way to everybody uh, from the students all the way through the parents and the school. So let's uh, talk about the fluency of uh, communicating with everybody and how that might be best done. Some examples you might give uh, very quickly. So we'd like to stay within the time frame, but let's take a few minutes and talk about communications, if you will. I've only got one thing to say about communication. The single biggest problem in all communication is the illusion that it's actually occurred. So any <laughs> expectation that's not said out loud and repeated and put down on paper is merely a thought. And that's it. Others? Yeah, don't, one topic, your river needs to go deep and narrow. Don't overwhelm with 50 million topics at once. Just keep it small. We need to get those wins. So the communication needs to definitely keep it very narrow and focused, but go very, very deep. Um, less is more in many cases. If I could share, uh, in, especially in the times that we're in right now, uh, say what you mean and mean what you say, but uh, keep your comments and your words to a minimum. Uh, words matter. And once they're out uh, of your mouth, you cannot retract the message uh, that you have conveyed. And remember, sometimes the message just gets skewed in every direction so we need to be very especially from a leadership angle we need to be very careful about what we say and what our messages are and make sure that they actually mean what we're intending them to to mean and they say to people what we're wanting them to hear 
Yeah, and that's that's such a really valid point. I mean, you know, remember over 90% of communication has nothing to do with the actual words you say. So it's how you say it and your body language are, are those really important pieces. So if you're com communicating virtually, we're actually doing a workshop uh, tomorrow at three and I'll drop the link if someone wants to come. But like, it's really important that you take the time to watch yourself in a virtual screen, to listen to yourself. And I think it was Todd or Chris said earlier, like practice your communication and that's where you're going to get better. And if you know, people aren't doing what you need them to do, it's probably because they're not hearing you. They're not listening to you. And that's because your communication is not connecting. They're just words and sounds to people. So you have to figure that out and ask other people, you know, what is it that you heard? How can I improve? And then really be listening to yourself. I know how awful that is sometimes. I don't like doing it as a speaker, but you have to listen to yourself and just ask yourself, would I follow me? Like, would I listen to me for 30 minutes in a row? And if the answer is no, then you got to make a change. Other comments? Yeah, pick up the book. I mean, it's a it's a great book, the Distance Learning Playbook. It's it's brand new. Um, Cowan Press uh, through the link in there. Uh, it's just I'm really transformed by by reading this book. I think these guys and ladies have done an amazing job with this and it's uh it, it's important i think it's going to be one of your best reads um academic reads anyway that you've had in a while it's a it's, it's a good find. Right, that's so. that's the book all about uh, how to do uh, virtual uh, online and uh is that correct chris yeah it's uh hattie's work where he is um and his colleagues are bringing in all right how do we do what we know are evidence-based practices in a virtual setting. And they've, they've done a, I, I initially thought that this was gonna be a bit, you know, lacking, but this is this is pretty, pretty impressive, I like it. The, the book is, I think downloading it, I think it's the only way you can get it to download it, but it's, it's $12, but I'm gonna tell you it's worth, it's worth the money, especially as we go into this new environment of virtual and hybrid, it's a good idea to look at what other people have done and some success stories, I think it'd be a good, uh, we recommend that to you. Are there any other comments? It's two o'clock. We've been on about a little over an hour now. Does anybody else have any comments or any questions from those of you join us with, with the panel? What time is it in uh, Trinidad? I'm super curious. You're on mute. I'm sorry. Uh, in Trinidad, it's um, about 2 p.m. Okay. Same as us. You're, you're about the same time oh. we are. Same. But a day ahead? <laughs> are you are you are you July 30th right now? Pardon? I didn't hear it. I said, are you July? Are you on July 30th right now or July 29th? What's your date? Oh, oh, oh my date today is 29th. Okay, so we're the same time. Okay. Yeah, at the same time. Same time but probably my weather is different. It's very hot and sunny outside. Well, guess what? In North Carolina, it's, it's steaming hot. It's about 95 today. So, <laughs> so we're warm too. We're warm too. Well, we're glad all of you came today. And I want to thank the panel uh, that gave their advice today. And we want to thank all of you who visited with us and came online. And uh, we hope that we've answered some of your questions and made things a little easier for you, hopefully. And uh, you have the contact with the uh, 
information that we put out on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. You have a way of getting in touch with anyone on this on this panel, and we'd be glad to talk with you or email back and forth with you. But I look forward to our next panel meeting, and uh, hopefully within the next month we will come on again with uh, something that's uh, relevant to where we are. We will have another 30 days to see uh, how things are going and what we need to talk about uh, that would be uh, apropos to you as teachers and as uh, principals and parents. So please join us and look forward to seeing you again. So have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.